<laughs> I should have brought the big bucket up here. I could just pitch it to you. <laughs> Man, it has, been, it has been a privilege and a pleasure being here with you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening and engaging your minds, your hearts, as we talk about the word. So grateful that you've come, and I hope even up to this point, God has showed you something. Uh, let me remind you and encourage you that whatever God shows you, he will empower you to do. Amen. Because it is his work, his work in you. Uh, our last session, let's go to Ephesians 4. We've talked about our one desire to to. To know, to be with, to be in his presence. We talked about uh, our one pursuit. To know Jesus. And today, in this last session, I want to talk about our calling. You have purpose in life. Not because of who you are. But because of who God is and what he has given to you. And in fact, in fact we, could, uh, we could say it this way. God has entrusted this to you. Even as you were sharing your testimony. Right? Whatever we go through, God has entrusted to us. Uh, I had a friend who was diagnosed with cancer. I happened to be there. Uh, for the diagnosis and then all the way through her journey back and forth and I, I knew and it was the spirit but I knew right when I was sitting there when we were in the emergency room she thought she had a kidney stone that was a surprise but right when they were telling her and as we're listening and questioning the Spirit reminded me, you have been entrusted with this. That's how we have to look at life. <laughs> it's not about you. It's not about me. We're not here long enough for that to even matter. So let's look at Paul one more time. And I want to look at uh, what he talks about in Ephesians 4. I think you will agree with me that you can identify someone by their walk. Yeah. Right? You don't know exactly who it is across the way, across a field, but you see them walking. You're, oh, that's so-and-so. So, too, our lives identify us. The New Testament uses the word walk as a metaphor for living. So when Paul says walk worthy in his letters, when he says it to these people here in Ephesus, he's referring to how they live. This letter is written to Gentile Christians. Those who need to understand their new identity. That Jew and Gentile are now both one rather than separate. Their purpose for living, these Gentile Christians, their purpose now was different because of Jesus. In the first three chapters, he talks to them uh, and explaining to them the gospel, that they are now 
in Christ and what that means. And he was trying to help them understand that though they are Gentiles, that they're not Jews because of Jesus, they have a new identity. It's not about what they're doing, but because of who they are in Christ, they have a new identity. They are a new family and should be living according to that identity. But as we can all attest, that is easier said than done. He's telling them to be one. Con consider what this might be like if we put it in the context of politics. What if there was a church at Congress? In this time period, not too far off. Okay, so you understand that you, you think about that illustration and go, Oh, no way. Right. The letter as a whole is written to help them understand that they are part of something bigger. It's all based, newsflash, it's all based on the gospel. It's Paul. It's all based on what God did. All right, well, once it gets to chapter 4, Paul begins to shift gears and because of the gospel, chapters 1, 2, and 3. Because you're no longer separate, walk as one. Basically, let your life show your new identity. The idea, uh, really, he's saying that your life no longer is your own. You have been given a purpose. Let's read Ephesians 4, chapters, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I, therefore, Paul says, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. So first he says, therefore, Paul is going to hinge everything he is about to say on what he has already said in the previous three chapters. And it begins by urging them. It's a very strong word in the original language. It's as close as he can get to a commandment as, without making it a command. I urge you. If you have teenagers, you get this. If you have a driven personality, and perhaps you work with those who don't, <laughs> you get this. If you're a coach, you get this. 
You can understand the intensity. It's the strongest word he can use. He's not making a suggestion, offering his opinion. I'm urging you, get to it. Okay, maybe not with anger, but there is strength here in what he is saying. He's urging them to live according to their new identity. But it's a little bit deeper than that. He's urging them to live this way because of their calling. See those words. The calling to which you've been called. So let me help us understand the word call here, right? He's bringing it back basically from, from chapter 1. You've been chosen. It's not a roll call checking to see if you're here. It's not a phone call. It is an intentional singling you out. It's a summoning from something to something for a purpose. There's intention here. There's purpose here. I want you to understand. I need us to understand. We need to know we have been called. Intentionally summoned. You get summoned for what? For the court. For the court. You get summoned. Some of you summoned for jury. Do you just throw that in the trash? Heck no. You go. Just from who it's sent from puts the weight behind the words. Okay? He doesn't have to, in that summons for jury duty, they don't have to try and convince you. You know who it's from. Done. Okay. Paul is saying, you have been called for a purpose. What is it? To walk in a manner worthy of that which you have been called. Let's be clear. There is one calling. And in this passage, what is that? It is to live like Jesus. Our one calling is to live like Jesus. Too many times we live as though our lives are our own. But we have been called to a purpose. And that purpose is to live like Jesus. All right, at, at the risk of never being invited here again. <laughs> Here's the difference between living for Jesus as we sang earlier, and living like Jesus. Now, I'm not saying the song is a bad song. I'm not saying we should never sing it again. I actually like the song, okay, just to be clear. <laughs> the first is a perspective that accomplishes the task. The other 
is the perspective that allows God's work in me to overflow to those around me. Granted, I'm being picky. But again, sometimes we get caught in the doing as the main thing. What does living like Jesus look like? Well, that's what we're going to see what Paul says. Number one, when we live like Jesus, we act like Jesus. Paul names four qualities that should identify them here in these verses, verses two and three. The first one is humility. This is a big deal in the culture because humility for the Greeks was not something they sought after. It was, it was thought to be a weakness. It was not something you would pursue to be a leader, to have humility, like we do in our culture leadership-wise today. But Jesus, when he came, changed that perspective. In fact, Paul spends a whole chapter talking about Jesus' humility. And how we should be following it. And we're called to follow that lead. It's a must. Whether it's part of your culture or not. It's a must for Christians. It is a non-negotiable. Humility is a true assessment of who I am in light of who my God is. And some would say it's not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. John Calvin said, it is evident that man never attains to a true self-knowledge until he has previously contempla contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. See, it's not, humility is not an evaluation based on everyone else around me. Humility is my view of self in light of who my God is. God's completely separate from sin. We've already said that. But I am not. Just this alone puts my importance and ability in a very different light. Humility is not putting myself down. It does serve to help me understand my true standing only because of Christ. That's humility, the first thing. The second thing he says, that the second quality that they should have when we're living like Jesus is this gentleness or meekness. This is a mildness and a gentleness of character. The quality focuses more on our character and our attitude toward others. It also has an idea of submissiveness. Now remember, he's talking here as they're dealing with one another in the body. So that's the context they're hearing this. And this is not to say, this is not to say that those who like to talk or get loud sometimes, or have an opinion, should sign up for counseling <laughs> so that they could get it under control. 
Now, that may be true, but that's not what he's saying. That's not his point here. The main goal of this person should be the common good. Humility, gentleness, or meekness. Thirdly, patience. Patience is a slowness in avenging wrongs or retaliating when you're hurt by someone. This is what we mean by patience. Paul says, bearing with one another in love. It involves bearing with one another's weaknesses, not ceasing to love one another not ceasing to love your neighbors, not ceasing to love your friends because of their faults or because they have perhaps offended you or displeased you. So when we live like Jesus, we act like Jesus with these qualities. Man. I think part of the issue with, I, sometimes we hear things like this and this just rolls over us. Yes, 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 we know this. What else? Without stopping and digging in and saying, okay, that is not me. I need to change. Right, because this is just, yes, I know, everybody needs patience. Of course, what else is there? How do we get it? I think doing the things we've already talked about in the other two sessions is a great place to start. But I also want to suggest, before we go any further, that part of our issue, I think, at times is because we don't take time. We hear some things to say, yes, yes, I know. One of the things used to drive me crazy as a coach. I would give instruction. Right, yeah, I know. Oh, no, you don't. <laughs> Why would I say they don't? They didn't do it. Oh, I know. No, you don't. Yeah, I, okay, tell me. Well, then, da, 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 da. that's great. You can say it. Until I see it, you don't know. Why? Because it's not just what I do on the act side. What I'm doing is a reflection of what's happening in me. So when I'm doing something and I'm talking to someone and I'm kind of, you know, if you're paying attention and they're starting to say something or they've done something, and something inside of you is starting to rumble. <laughs> Maybe the heat's turning up. You know that's happening. What do you do about it? Ignore it. Wrong answer. We should not be ignoring it. This is where the Spirit does His work every day in us. So I stop, God, what is that going on there? 
What's that really about? See, I'm, <laughs> I'm sure God looks down and, and some just, sometimes he just says, Sherry, what in the world? <laughs> you do realize that you're upset that she did such and such to you, and that's exactly what you're doing to me right now. <clears throat> but I'm just going and doing my thing without paying attention to what's happening. When we live like Jesus, we act like Jesus. Number two, when we live like Jesus, we grow stronger. Verse four, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It's common sense for a team to need to work together. Anything from a sports team to your cohort at work or in school or, my goodness, a family doing yard work has to work together. You're laughing because you don't get to do lawn work. We wish they would work together. It's probably more like it. Paul continues his theme of being called to a new identity. And living out that identity, he's reminding them that they are part of the whole. The you here is plural. He wants them to see that they're not individuals here. Then they are in Christ. They were called to something greater. Look at verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, hold on, this gets thick. When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth. He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11, he gave apostles, the prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Each one is equipped for a purpose to help the body grow. That's your purpose. <clears throat> Not to make yourself stronger. Your purpose is to help the body grow. Grace given to each. Grace given by Jesus in the form of these gifts. The comments here, and I want to read it because I want you to understand, I'm not skipping. Just because something gets hard, don't skip over and say, oh, it doesn't matter anyway. The comments he's making here, especially in verses 9 and 10, basically what he's saying, give Jesus credibility. 
He can give gifts because he's the victor. That's what he's saying. These people knew exactly what he was saying. He's the only one who can give the gifts. This gives credibility to the gift. And it gives purpose. Now the gifts that are mentioned here are, and this is certainly not about spiritual gifts, the gifts mentioned here are not the only gifts. That's not my purpose today. Paul mentioned these gifts because they're teaching and discipling. Well, because his purpose here is to help them understand that they need to be taught. So the people he's saying, the people that are teaching you, pay attention. Their purpose is to help. And you need to grow up, is what he's saying. You need to be equipped. You need to be built up. Growing stronger, which is what he wants them to do, is going to include two things. Growing stronger, verse 14. Growing stronger includes becoming more discerning. They needed truth because hearing truth, learning truth, knowing truth keeps us heading in the right direction. These people were apparently being told untruths. You need truth, he says. And God wants to make sure you get it. So pay attention. Knowing truth allows you to live out truth. Secondly, growing stronger includes not only becoming more discerning, but growing stronger in verses 15 and 16 includes contributing. Verse 15, rather, speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From the whole body, joined and held together in every joint which it, with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, makes the whole body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Paul is saying, hey, there's not to be any positioning here. There's not to be any campaigning to be seen or heard above someone else. The point of teaching truth is to help the body grow. And he says, speaking the truth in love. And that's connected back to verses 12 through 14. The leadership was to teach the truth in love. I know we can make application here, okay, when I speak... And I'm trying to help correct someone. I speak the truth in love. Yes, here in this context, his point was the leadership is making some points. Listen. And if you're making those points, say it in love. Teach truth, teach it in love. Truth hurts sometimes. It might not be what I want to hear, but Jesus and his truth is of more value. The body should work together to grow. It's not about showing I'm more mature than someone else. It's about me doing my part to help the body grow. When I live like Jesus, I act like Jesus. When I live like Jesus, we grow stronger. When we live like Jesus, 
Our minds are grounded in truth. Third thing. When we live like Jesus, our minds are grounded in truth. Verse 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds. They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. They've become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Verse 20, but that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Living like Jesus requires the renewing of my mind. We must know truth to live truth. Don't live like the Gentiles. Don't live like the unbelievers, Paul is saying. Notice he doesn't just point out what they're doing wrong. He talks about their wrong thinking. And that is what is leading them to do what is wrong. They had, verse 20, you, he's saying, you have learned differently. You were taught truth. It does matter. Truth matters. Culturally, oh my goodness. Truth matters. There is one truth. Your truth your truth, your truth. Unless it's this truth, isn't. Truth matters. Our culture is going to try and tell us something completely different. It's okay. It's not okay. Here in this section, we see it again. There needs to be a removal of the old, to ground in truth, we have to remove the old way of thinking, stop allowing our former passions, our desires, the way that would dominate us. We can't allow that to dominate us anymore. It should not dictate my actions. Myself should not dictate where I'm headed. He says, put off. And then verse 24, put on. <coughs> Super intentional. It's only two steps. Intentionally one first, then the other. I know it's a, a silly illustration, and I, I use it all the time, but if you go and buy a new winter coat, you don't put it on over top of the old one. You, you just don't. Some of you are good gardeners and you're going to put mulch down before winter gets here. 
God bless you. <laughs> when you put mulch down, even in the spring, you, you don't put it over top of the weeds. <laughs> Some of you are like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> Put off the old self, be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self. Our new self is God's work in us, being set apart from sin. It starts with my way of thinking. Number four, when we live like Jesus, it shows in our interactions. Now, this is a huge chunk here. And my intention is not to pick every one of these out, but I am asking you, as I read this, will you listen to the Spirit? I'm going to talk through it. Don't brush over it. Verse 25, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Let not the sun go down on your anger. Give no opportunity to the devil. Let the, chief, let the thief, verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he might have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as it fits the occasion that it might give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Paul has set the groundwork for the particulars that he's going to be pointing out. Obviously, these instructions are not the only instructions. You can read others across the New Testament. But these were most important for these believers here. Obviously, Paul knew this is what they want, he wanted them to know. Notice again the stopping and starting principles. Put away. Don't do this. Instead, do this. This could also include what I was talking about earlier, catching yourself starting to head in a direction, stop, and go in the right direction. Notice also that there's two reasons. As Paul is talking here, he gives two reasons or two explanations why. One, don't grieve the Spirit of God. The Spirit that binds us together should be controlling us when we act on our own or our own desires, we act them out. God's Spirit is grieved. If you're a parent, you get this, even on a smaller level. 
the other explanation, the other reason is so that the body will benefit. We are members of one another. Another phrase, so that we may have something to share. Only such as is good for building up. That it may give grace to those who hear. Look, there's all these interactions happening here. The purpose for his instruction is so that the body will benefit. And as I said already, my goal is not to go through each of those. But we do need to pay attention to them. Because they are so opposite of our culture. Look at that list. It's very acceptable. In fact, it's expected sometimes. But they should not be said of us and how we treat each other, not to mention other people outside of the body. But here, he's talking about the body. We are to love on each other. One of the oddest things I thought, it was a really good illustration to me. Uh, I have a friend whose daughter played at the Division I level. Uh, and I went to see her play a couple times, but it was always really neat when I would go, because I would go uh, many times with their family, and of course, all the families, all wait outside this one door because they're all sitting together in the area. The way they saw each other and welcomed and said hello to one another was incredible. So different than I had seen in church. Which just, I thought, man, that's nice. Nice. Isn't that how we're supposed to? Isn't that how we're supposed to do family? I'm blessed to come from an amazing, amazing family. I have a great heritage, and when we all get together, you hug and kiss each other in the cheek. It's just what you do. It's family. That's how these parents were interacting with one another. What would it? What would it look like if the church treated each other like family? We all need that. What, why would we do that? Well, to build each other up. Number five, when we live like Jesus, it results in unity. There's a result here that he's going for. It results in unity. Paul's overriding message is to help them see that the body is one. They were Gentiles, outsiders, but that is not their identity any longer. Unity, number one here, unity is the starting point. They weren't trying to get to it. They had it. He says in verse 3, maintain the unity. This is not something they should have been striving toward. In verses 4 through 6, he, he uses it in the present. There is one. 
And we know from verses 1 through 6, God desires unity. It is the starting point. We have unity. Keep it. We have unity because of who he is. It doesn't, it depends on us to make sure we can keep it that way. The way we interact. Number two, unity should be a result of maturity or discipleship. Growth, if you will. Unity begins in my mind and what I believe. I'm supposed to have the mind of Christ. So the pursuit of unity includes a mutual pursuit of maturity with everyone around me. We're all, should be, all after the same thing. We forget that, I think, sometimes. All of us, if I were talking to a bunch of athletes right now, all of us, all in. Number three, unity includes individual responsibility. Here he, he gave the list. There are some who are teaching and leading. We have a responsibility to renew our minds. That's your responsibility. It doesn't just happen. Oh, well, I go to such and such church. Okay. I listen to this person on the radio, or I watch this guy, or I listen to this person, this Bible study. Okay. It doesn't mean it's going anywhere. Unity's actions are our interactions. Fourth thing, unity only happens when the parts act as one. I say this to make a couple points. There are parts. There are supposed to be differences. Diversity is a necessity. I'm not just talking about skin color. You are diverse in all kinds of ways intentionally that's the point why for the building up of one another god made can i say this yes god made diversity for unity if there were no diversity why would we talk about unity Unity is not the same, it's not synonymous with sameness. So when we live like Jesus, we act like Jesus. When we live like Jesus, we grow stronger. We grow stronger. When we live like Jesus, our minds are grounded in truth. When we live like Jesus, it shows in our interactions. And when we live like Jesus, it results in unity. A.W. Tozer uses this, uh, this example. Has it ever occurred to you that 100 pianos all tuned to the same fork are automatically tuned to each other? 
They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshipers met together, each one looking away to Christ are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to become unity conscious and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. See, Paul's point was not, hey, guys, you need to start changing how you act. He's saying, get your eyes on Jesus and act like Jesus. Get your mind on Jesus and think like Jesus. Living like Jesus takes intentionality. And Paul is calling these believers and us here today to change. It wasn't a suggestion. The Spirit is summoning us, drawing us, pleading with us to live out our new identity, our new purpose. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. To him be glory forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. <coughs>